Well, good morning to each of you. It's good to be here to worship with you all. I want to welcome each one, the home folks, as well as the visitors. Welcome, and, and we invite you to worship with us. Thank you all for your prayers for my mother and, uh, and our family. And we, we know that, we feel that, we sense that, and uh, we need His grace uh, in the future. I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians 6. We want to continue there in Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 5. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 5. Our text is going to be from verses 5 through 9. Bond servants, be obedient to, you, to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service, as men-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Our Lord, as we humbly come before you, we ask for your grace this morning to open your truth to us. Father, we ask that your word would be made plain and that your truth would be applied to our heart by the work of your Holy Spirit. And we ask, Father, that, your, that our hearts may be, uh, be intent upon what your will is for us. Give us grace this week as we that we may apply this in our lives and that our lives may glorify you. We ask for your honor and glory to be made known here today in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have passed through the introduction of the gospel, the doctrinal statements, the doctrinal uh, layout that he gives in the beginning of the book of Ephesians, and we've come to the experiential part where we participate, uh, where he has called his children to himself, and then he asks us to live out the truths that have been worked in by the gospel and by salvation. We, he is speaking here to believers, and as we have just come through the part where he has talked about the gospel in our homes, what this should look like between husband and wife, what this should look like between parents and children, and how this should work out from the home. We now, as a logical, as a logical progression, we come to think about, Paul brings us to think about how Christ's influence extends to the workplace. The title of this message is The Gospel in Our Work. The Gospel in Our Work. I believe that along with the Puritans and many others that have gone before us, that there is no real distinction between our lives of worship here and our lives in the workplace. Now, let me qualify that by saying we come here and we worship here and it's the right thing to do. And Brother Philip talked about that this morning with the children's lesson, that it's, it's the right thing to do because we need our batteries recharged. But it is God's will, brothers and sisters, that we take this mind and this heart and this body and this, these, these desires and affections that come around Christ and we take them to the workplace with us tomorrow. You know, the, the problem is we want to let the workplace and the, and the influences out there come in here. But the reality is that within Christ, this should be going out there. 
And when this goes out there, it changes the place out there. And it makes people understand something about God. And this, my friends, is what God has put us here for. That the world may know that Jesus Christ was sent by God to save His people from their sins. And that He's still in that business. He's still in that work. He's still calling sinners to repentance. And this is why we are to live as we live. As, we, as, as He says we should live. Well, this text was written in a time when slavery and ownership of slaves was common. It did not bear the stigma it does today. For someone to say he was a slave was probably pretty common. In fact, they think that there was somewhere in the neighborhood of six million slaves in the Roman Empire at the time of this writing. So it gives you an idea that they lived in a bit of a different culture. This word bondservant is the word doulos in the Greek, and it simply means someone who is in a serving or in a servant's position. Someone who is in a condition and position to serve. Someone who has been hired or called upon or by some other means has the obligation to serve. It is taboo almost in our culture, almost taboo in our culture today to even talk about slavery. But the Bible never itself, the gospel never its, itself never tries to abolish the culture straight on. The, the, the gospel never says it's a sin to be involved in slavery. We have, we have even have a, have a book in the, in the New Testament written by uh, the book of Philemon, where Onesimus had run away from his owner, and Paul writes his owner back and says, Receive him as a brother in the Lord. You didn't say you have to turn him loose from his responsibilities. And he told Onesimus, you're not, you're not required to, to leave your master, but rather go back and submit to him. And he tells Philemon, he says, Receive this man as one of us. Treat him as a brother in the Lord, even if he is your servant. And it is said, historians would say, that the gospel did in that culture what the gospel should do. Though it does not try to abolish the culture straight on, but it influences the culture, the people of that culture to change in such a way that it forces everyone in that culture to deal with the truth of God. It is said that Paul, the Apostle Paul, through his preaching and through his teaching, through the gospel going out, and you know the one book says, he says that all those in, in uh, Caesar's, Caesar's house greet you. He had, a, he had a church in Caesar's house. And this influenced that whole that whole nation of people to the point that it actually led to the fall of Rome as it was. And why is that? Because Rome was a wicked, wicked uh, empire. So the will of God for us is that in whatever state he finds us, whatever state this brings us in, be we a, a slave, be we a servant, are we a a master, that in that state we are to do the will of God and we are to serve our fellow men. In fact, as one scripture says that if you are a slave, you are to remember that you're God's free man. And if you're free, remember you're still God's bondservant. So the reality is that in the kingdom of God, there are no slaves and there are no masters. But we are one at the foot of the cross. And we serve one master, whether in this earth we, we are in the place of being a boss, 
or in the place of being an employee, we serve, the boss and the employee serve the same master. And that's why it is incumbent upon us as Christians to live in the workplace like none other than our Lord Jesus Christ, who is bo- who has who's exemplified both servanthood and lordship, who is perfect in both offices. And so you want to think about who you should emulate if you find yourself in a servant's position this morning, you work for somebody, they pay you by the hour, they pay you by the job, or they pay you by a salary, or whatever it is, ask yourself this question. What did Jesus do when he served people? How did he serve? Read Philippians 2, where it says he humbled himself. He became obedient He became obedient to his father all the way to the point of death, even death of the cross. He didn't shy away from dying to fulfill what his Lord wanted him to do. How does he work? How does he function as a master? There is none good like as good as our Savior. We have a master who is good in the highest sense of good. He's fair. He's just. He's kind. He's giving. He's got an abundance of wealth. And he bestows it upon his children. And so, whether we are servants or masters, Christ is the one we follow. Let's go to our text this morning. Bond servants, be obedient. We want to look like we want to look and we want to look at this passage, and first of all, we want to look at the Christ-like servant. Obedient servants. To be obedient here means to hearken to a command, to obey, or to submit to someone. And let's notice that not only does he say just be obedient, but he says how we are to obey. How are we to obey? Well, number one, he says, with fear and trembling. What does that mean? The word fear and trembling here means with a reverence and with a submission that it would cause us to be in a place of anxiety if we didn't do what we are told to do. There are very few people that have that kind of ethic today. And it's a shame because this country was built on a Puritan work, work ethic. And when they call Puritan work, work ethic is literally they did their work as unto God. And that meant if I didn't do what I was called to do, if I shirked my duty, if I didn't live up to what was expected of me, I failed God first. There's an understanding of God. That God is the one who is really my master. Turn with me to Philippians 2. I'll hold our finger here and we'll look at Philippians 2 in verses 12 and 13. And this speaks to this, this very thing. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling notice that paul says that even when i'm gone i'm not in your presence anymore he says you have always obeyed you've always went on obeying god because all paul was trying to do is teach them how to obey god he says you went on and did that even when i wasn't looking even when i wasn't there to see what you were doing This means that our attitude and our actions are to be no different when the boss is watching or whether we're alone. By the way, that's how you should serve Christ, isn't it? If you're in the back 40 by yourself 
It matters what you're doing. It matters what I'm doing. It matters what I say. It does. Because there's somebody that's hearing it. And there's somebody that's seeing it. And it's going down on record. Because it's the record of my life. Let's notice what he says in verse 13 here. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Well, not only does He say you've kept on working, but He said the reason you've kept on doing what you're supposed to do is because God is working in you both to will and to do. Unless you have a will to, do, to obey, you won't obey. I won't obey. Unless my will is given to that, and I desire it, and I want it, it won't happen. There are other things that will take over. The desire for my own thing. Whatever it may be that pleases me at the time. And it is God working in us that keeps us wanting what He wants. The reality is, friends, the proof of our the proof of our Christian life is not in what we say. It's not even in what we look like to the church. The proof of our life is what we're doing. The actions we're taking or the actions we're not taking. The things that we we longed and desired to do notice he says he works in him both to will and to do that i think it really boils down to the fact we're not going to be able to do everything that's perfectly possible or that we're perfect perfectly that we should do but it is our desire to do everything we can do and if we do what god has called us to do we go back and we have to say somebody was working in me Overtime. Somebody did something in me that's not natural to my own to my own inclinations. God was working in my heart. He gave me a passion, gave me a heart, gave me a desire to do what only He could bring me to do. This is the kind of obedience and submission that pleases Him. That's what he's satisfied with. Because it not only comes from him, but it brings glory to him. You see, we we must depend upon him if we're going to give him glory. What you conjure up, or what I conjure up in my own psyche or in my own person, is only going to make me proud, make me arrogant when I'm successful. And make me depressed when I'm a failure. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Let's go back to the the text in Ephesians 6. He says, With fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart. In sincerity of heart. Of heart, with a single-hearted sincerity. We're to serve our earthly masters, our earthly bosses, if you please, with a singleness of heart, with a heart that is that is trying to do the best we can for their good. That's how Christ served his father. And that's how we should serve those that are over us. That's how we should serve Christ. In Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, let's turn there. We have another passage that almost mirrors this passage. In Colossians 3, verse 23, 22, I'm sorry, 22 and 23. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart fearing God. 
And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. We are called here in this passage to obey in all things your masters. Now notice it says, as to the Lord. I believe that the qualification is in the realm of what pleases God. I believe there are times that that it is right to stand up and say, I cannot do this because I have a greater master who says no. And when he says no, I have to listen to him. Uh, Paul is not talking here in reference to sin, but what he is saying, everything else, that, that means the good jobs and the bad jobs. That means the ones I like and the ones I don't. That means the ones everybody hates to do. He says, do it as unto God. Do it fearing God, with reverence to God. I think sometimes our work ethic tells us something about our fear of God. How we work reveals how we, how we feel about God. This is why the Puritans said there really isn't any difference between how you are in your worship to God and how you are in the workplace. The way you view God is the way you'll serve your employer. That doesn't mean your employer is always right. Doesn't mean your employer is always going to have the right attitude. Doesn't mean he's going to do a good job. But, you know, it doesn't matter if you're serving God. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. Because if we're serving God, what matters to us is that He's pleased. The boss may be fine with it, but if God's not fine with it, guess what? We shouldn't be either. We ought to continue until we know that it's what God wants for us. This is why he says, in singleness of heart, sincerely, without any, without any pretense. Because the more we pretend here in the pew this morning, the less of that kind of dedication we have when we're called to the test out there. Well, not only how we are to obey. But who are we to obey? Well, he brings out that we are to be, it's, it's, it's to our masters according to the flesh. But notice he says that we're to do it as to Christ. And we're to do it in verse 6, doing the will of God as bondservants of Christ as slaves of Christ, as servants of Christ, as employees of Christ, as someone who is, who is under the authority and under the direction of Jesus Christ. Doing God's will. When you do your work, you do it with God's desire and what He wants you to do, with excellence, with with passion, with compassion, with integrity. We are to obey our masters and employers on earth, but notice notice that really, in reality, what he's saying here is you're serving Jesus Christ when you do this. As to the Lord, not to men. That when we're serving our masters and our bosses, these are ultimately, it is our job to serve Christ there. And maybe your boss is not a Christian. He's not a believer. He, he, he has a terrible temper. He flies off the handle and uses terrible language. He needs to know what Christ is like 
in that situation. And he's going to find out if he has a Christian employee who lives this way. If we live this way, friends, even the worst of our bosses will see Jesus Christ. They'll know when they've done wrong. It won't be, they won't be guessing about our testimony. They won't be guessing about where we really are with Christ. In fact, we probably won't have to say anything or won't have to say much because the attitude of a Christian is in stark contrast to the attitude of an unbeliever. When an unbeliever gets cursed at and gets scolded, what does he do? He curses back. He hollers back. He gives back what he gets. When Christ was cursed upon, when he was beaten upon, when he was mocked and spit upon, it says he went as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. God wants us to get an understanding of that as we go to the workplace. That there's a Christ-likeness about us. That it's evident that these people have been with Jesus. That these people are with the one who saved them. That these people know him. Why do we have such tension in our workplaces? Why are things so upside down in many of our industries around here? Why are the politics out of control? I'll tell you why it is. They don't know Jesus. Our world is a heathen world to a large degree. And they don't know Jesus because they they are living in their own sin. And they need to know Jesus. And it's it's the requirement of the Christian. It's the command of God here. That when we do our work as pleasing God, that Christ comes from us and not ourselves. And unless God is working in us, we won't. But when Christ is working in us, we will. It may not be perfect. It may not have, we may not say everything we think we ought to say. But listen, we're just called to trust Him. We're called to depend upon Him. We're, called to, we're asked to call upon Him in those times. And it's in those times that He will manifest Himself to us in a way that we can glorify Him. I believe every believer, when they're put to the test, has the ability to glorify Christ. It may not be perfect. It may not be what you think it ought to be. But if you are His child, He will work in you to do that which is above and beyond our ability to do. How are we to obey? Not with eye service. How we are, I'm sorry, let me back up. How we are not to obey. Verse 6. Not with eye service. It comes from a, two Greek words as well. This is what we're not to do. Uh, it means labor that needs watching. And service performed only under the master's eyes. It means that you have, somebody has to stand over this person and watch them to make sure that they just get the basics right. We all have things that we need to learn. We all, have, we all make mistakes. But we ought to be graduating past the place, friends, where somebody has to watch over us, making sure that we're paying attention. If we're going to serve God as we ought to serve Him in this place, we ought to be trying to learn everything we can learn. And we ought to be doing it for God's glory and for the good of our employer. That's what he's saying. This ought to be something that we put ourselves into. We commit ourselves to. I want to get better at serving my master. 
I want to get better at doing this job my boss wants me to do. I want to do it with more excellence. I want to do it with something better rather than somebody having to stand over me every time I do this just to make sure that I'm doing what I ought to do. Secondly, it also means that it also gives the idea that I won't work to the best of my ability unless the boss is standing over me, unless he's in the, in the room or in the building or around the area. There's a, there's a, there's a crew that works in the Coffee County area that has the reputation. The boss knows what he's doing. He'll come out to the job and get everybody started working. And he has to go look at a job and the whole crew will sit down and take a break. They have that reputation. And it's hearing it from other people. It's not a, they're, they're not believers. They're, they're unbelievers. But that is not, that's what he's saying to not do here. You understand? It's the boss is gone, so we're going to take a break. Well, the boss is gone. Our thinking should be, let's work harder. Let's do better. Let's outdo what we did last time. I remember how this affected me as a young man when I worked with a man who took this attitude. He was, he was the boss when the boss was gone. He said, let's see if we can do better than what we did when the boss was here. And we all tried. And the boss would come back multiple times and he would say, I need to just leave more so y'all get more done. You see, that attitude is a Christ-like attitude. That is an attitude that I want to do what I can to serve my boss. And it doesn't matter if he's here or if he's not. The eye service thing is just so that I look good when the boss is here. Not as men pleasers. Notice he says uh, that this is what we're not to do. And this again comes from two words in the Greek. It means studying to please men and courting men's favor. It means how can I just simply hit the minimum bar of making the boss happy just so long as he's okay along with trying to butter up to him so that maybe I'll get a promotion maybe he'll give me a raise maybe I'll get something in return this this attitude is one that we find in many corporate settings. We want to do things that flash in the boss's eyes. We study how we can make an impression on him. And we go after the thing that will get us up the ladder a little further. It's not what Christ did. That's not what he, the way he served his father. He humbled himself... And became as a servant of the servants, if you please. He was willing to take the meaningless jobs. And he showed that when he stooped and washed his disciples' feet. You've got to understand that was something in the day. They, were, they walked in streets that were filthy. Filthy from all the animals that had went through there, the travel all the slop that got poured out there. And they would take their guests into the house and the servant would wash their feet of the grime and the nastiness of the street. When Jesus stooped down to do that, he was showing them, I, as your Lord and Master, have stooped to wash your feet. That's what you need to do. See, Jesus was not a man-pleaser. He wasn't looking for the applaud of the men. He was looking for the glory and the praise and the affirmation of God. 
And that's what God says as Christians, we too are to go there. That's what we're to do. That's how we are to live. We're not, another way that we're not to obey is we're not to be bound to ourselves. We're not to obey just for ourselves. A man pleaser and one who, who works with eye service is really, in the end, a self pleaser. He's working there for himself. And that's all he has in mind. And, I, and I'll just tell you, if all you have in mind with what you do is yourself, Christ will not be seen. As much as possible, lay down yourself. I need to lay down myself. I'll take the discomfort. I'll take the nastiness. I'll take the hard job so that God's glory may be seen and that he may be pleased with me. In the end, it's not about who gets the biggest paycheck. Ultimately, at the end, it's about who's pleased God. Who's done their services unto the Lord? And I want to encourage us as we think about this, this is the basis of our rewards. God will reward us as to how we have pleased Him. How we have followed Christ. How we have set ourselves to do His will. All right, let's look, notice why we are to obey. In verse 6, the last part of verse 6. Doing the will of God from the heart. We are God's servants, and we are to execute or to carry out. It's so that God's will gets carried out. That's why we obey. We obey our masters so that what, what we do that doesn't conflict with God's word is carry out the will of God. We actually do it. We actually execute it. And we do it because we love, we love God. We are to be like Christ. He wants not only to see us execute it in what we are to do, but He wants to see a Christ-likeness in our execution, in our carrying this out. Back over in Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 8, let's notice what Christ looked like. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. As Christ humbled himself to serve us, so we should humble ourselves to serve our masters, and by extension, God. Now, lastly, we, we, we obey this because we do that we obey because there's a reward. In verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord. God rewards his faithful children. Let me ask you, how would you like to get back what you have given? How have you served have you served your employer? Have you given yourself to the Lord and served him in such a way that you would be good with receiving that for payment? You see, God is fair. He's just. God calls us to do what we do so that because he is the one that's going to give the reward at the end of the day. At the end of the day, the reward that he gives, though our boss may never recognize it, and though he may underpay us for everything, in the end, God is the one that's counting up. He's looking at it, and he's observing it, and he's going to give it as a reward to us one day. That's what this, that's what this passage is saying. 
and so we work. Not, not so that our boss will reward us, but first of all, so that God will reward us. I'm not saying that if you can't make it where you are, it's absolutely impossible for you to live on what, on what you're making. Your boss will, will not understand that. I'm not saying it's wrong to change your job. But I'm simply saying our attitude when we work must be so that we're not working just to climb the ladder, just to get a raise, just to get money. But our work must be so that God is pleased with it. And the reward he gives us will make money look like trash. The problem is we just don't look that far ahead, do we? We just don't see that far ahead. We don't believe that. Sometimes we just don't believe what God says. That the things that he has in store for us cannot even be named. It can't even be spoken of. Word, tongues won't even, our tongues won't even be able to talk about it. It's so good. So I want to ask you this morning, are you seeking to serve Christ by serving your fellow men? Namely, your boss. Is there a question this morning in your mind's boss about what a Christian servant should really be like? As as employees, is there a question in my, my, my boss's mind because of my poor attitude, maybe because of my lack of integrity, or because of my unwillingness to put myself into the job is there any question in his mind about what a christian servant should be like you know sometimes they say things like well yeah he calls himself a christian what means what they mean is he knows how to talk the talk but what when it comes right down to it he doesn't walk the walk christian employees should we should be like christ in willing obedience, and in loyalty. And we must depend upon Christ to strengthen us to do it. Our work should include something of a dependence upon Christ. It should call out for us a dependence on Christ. I want to ask you this morning, do you depend on Christ to reward you? Are you only worried about the money you get or the money you don't get? Have you committed the reward to Christ and allowed Him, allowed Him to make you satisfied with what He has in store for you? This is a tough one for many of us. We're driven. We want to make money. We want to, we want to build something. Am I committed to the fact that Christ will reward me? I'm satisfied with what He gives. And that he, my life is in His hands. And He will take care of me. He will put the food on the table. He will pay the bills. It will be because of what He gives me. Not from what I think I have to get. Well, quickly, we're going to look at the Christ-like master. I realize we spent more time on the servant than we did the master, but we're going to, there's also some very, uh, very incredible things that he says here. He says, you masters, do the same things to them. So, you, you, you see what God says that your employer, I mean, your employee should be doing for you. And so what is that level of honor and respect you would like to receive from your employee? Do even so to them. And that's why Paul was writing back to Philemon and saying, as you would like to be honored and respected as as a Christian boss, as a a brother in the church who, who, who lives his life and runs his business with integrity, so treat this man as a brother. Give him the, the respect and the honor 
for laying his life out for you. God is fair. And he's just. Colossians 4 and verse 1. Again, this passage in Colossians is almost a mirror passage to, to Ephesians here. In Colossians 4. And in verse 1. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. He's saying if you're a boss, if you're in charge, you have people under you, do what's right and fair knowing that somebody in heaven is over you. Knowing that you are going to give an account to the ultimate boss, to the ultimate master. And he says... Do the right thing. Secondly, he says how not to be a master. He says giving up threatening or abandoning threatening or abandoning severity and cruelty to your employee or to your slave. You know, that writes off the typical slavery that happened in America with the black slaves back in the 1800s, 17 and 1800s, where they were beaten and they were abused. A Christian is called not to do that. And so therefore, I believe in that case, the Bible stands firmly against all that kind of slavery. The abuse the bondservant in this case was someone who worked for somebody to pay off a debt most times. So he was giving himself as a slave. He didn't take pay. He just lived in the house and he had food and, and, and clothes and was taken care of so that because he, his family or he had, had taken out a loan for something and he needed to pay a debt back. And here he tells us, he says, do not treat them with cruelty or severity or use threats. But he says, knowing that God has, that God is just. What, how has God treated you, brother, sister? What, is, how, what kind of a master has God been for you? God harsh, vindictive? angry taking advantage of you no we know that god says i am the lord i am the god of mercy i'm the god he's a generous god he's giving god and yes he's a just and fair god but he wants us to emulate him follow him leviticus 25 verses 43 and 46 we're not going to go there but he says you shall not treat your brothers and sisters of israel with rigor or with severity or harshness in fact we're going to look at a passage here that tells us how we should treat our employees he he knows in verses in in, in we know that God is, every boss knows that God is, is impartial or should know that. God is impartial. The Christian boss especially. He knows that God is a God who is just. And he's good and he's just to the evil and the good. We find that in Romans 2 verses 5 through 11. How that men have stood up and shook their fist in the face of God. They've destroyed his creation. They've, they've tore down his honor. They've disrespected his laws. They've, they've done all sorts of things against him, and yet he still allows rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. He's still good to those even when they are evil to him. And God calls us to be like him. 
Let's turn to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth 2, and that's way back between Judges and 1 Samuel. In Ruth 2, let's notice how that an employer submitted to God, how he looks out for the welfare and well-being of his employees. Let's begin in verse 4, Ruth chapter 2. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from the morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young man not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. The first thing I want us to note is this was not uncommon for Boaz. Let's look at his, con- his greeting to the reapers. The Lord be with you. How would you like for your boss to come out every morning and say, The Lord be with you today. Notice the reply. They answered him, The Lord bless you. Do you see the common good that it was exchanged there? And when when this 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 strange woman, if you please, the strange girl was was there taking reaping uh, the leftover wheat. He went to her knowing that she is living with her mother-in-law, taking care of her mother-in-law. He saw the need there. He goes to her and he says, do not go anywhere else. We'll make sure you're taken care of here. And when you need something to drink here, come up here where my men have drawn water and drink from their, their provision. Listen, Boaz understood something of God. He understood that God was good. And he just wanted to to pass that along. I want to ask you this morning, do our employees have a clear understanding of how good our God is by our actions, words, and habits? Do they know that we have a good God and that we serve a good God? Do you seek to please God by how you treat those who serve you. Sometimes, friends, we look to people that we esteem over us, that are over us in some manner. And it's, it's easy to kind of just, for the better term, suck up to them. We, we, we want to draw up near to them. We want to we be in, interested in whatever they're interested in. But sometimes... The test of a person's character is how they treat the people they deem to be under them. How do you treat the people that are under you? Maybe you're in a place where you're a boss in a factory and you have people working under you. Do they know something about the goodness of God? Do you view your place as a trust given to you by God? This is a place where God has put you here. He's entrusted you with His riches, His goodness. He wants you to use it for His glory. Do you see that? This is how our people are able, our Christian people are able to influence the world. This is where true Christianity matters in these areas of life, in the servants as well as in the masters, in the employees as well as in the employers.
Now I want to turn to one more scripture, and then I'm going to be done. First Chronicles 29, verses 16 to 20. First Chronicles 29, verses 16 to 20. And this is the prayer of David. David is in his last, this is his last gasp, if you please. It's his, the very end of his life. And he is blessing the Lord and he's blessing the people. You want to know why David was such a good king? You want to know why? Israel honors David as a king of Israel. We're going to find it right here. Beginning verse 16. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in, unru- in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, Keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart towards you and give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. I want us to understand something here. David had one thing in mind. He considered the goodness of God. And it it didn't matter to him that he whether he was king or whether he was a shepherd boy. What mattered was that he had given willingly. Notice what he says there in verse 16. We have, he brought of his abundance and he gave it to God. He said, I know also, my God, that you test the heart and you have pleasure in uprightness. As for me and the uprightness of my heart, I willingly offered all these to you. The people knew that when they served David, that he in turn was going to serve God with what they served him with. And this is why when he says, bow your heads and worship the Lord, that they willingly bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord. Let's consider the goodness of God toward us, friends. It doesn't matter where we're at doesn't matter the position we're in, the place we, we hold. Let us endeavor to serve our fellow men, whoever that is that God has called us to serve, as God has served us. There's a sense in which we're giving to God. People willingly serve God because they saw that goodness coming through David. The world needs to see the goodness of God coming through us. Whether you're an employee or whether you're an employer. May God give you grace this week to do that. May He give us all the courage to take a look at who we are and what He has done for us and be willing to set things in order in our lives so that we might do this. Execute it to His glory. Let's pray. Lord, You are so good to us. You have blessed us with so much. Lord, how little at times we've given back to You.
and how little we've done for you. We confess, Lord, that it is it is a part of our fleshly nature to be ungrateful, to be selfish, to be desirous of our own thing. When you've called us here by your grace, you've poured into us the riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you simply call us to give glory to you. So God, give us strength. It is you who works in us, Lord, to do and to will of your good pleasure. And I just pray, Father, that this would continue to work in us. That work which you have begun. And Lord, completed in the day of Jesus Christ. We ask this all in your name. Amen.